Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Well, hey, so by now, you probably know that I have quite the affinity for hockey. And uh, so naturally, it would probably come as no surprise to you for me to tell you that I grew up watching the Mighty Ducks movies, right? Uh, Well, I decided to watch the original Mighty Ducks with my daughter the other day, and oh man, uh, there is a lot of stuff going on in that movie that I had no idea about when I was a kid. If you ever had that happen to you, like... You watch a movie when you're younger, and then you watch it again with your kids uh, now that you're all grown up, and you're almost embarrassed to be watching something with your kids that has such adult humor or content or message or anything like that. But the reality was that there was just no way you could have understood those things as a kid. I actually think that kids' movies that can make adults laugh, are those are the real MVPs, you know? Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but the story that we're looking at today is, is a lot like that for me. I, I learned it as a kid, but it didn't mean a lot to me. And, and honestly, it didn't make much sense to me. But now that I'm reading it again, I realize just how massive of a story this is. I feel the story. I wrestle with the emotions of the story. I have to reconcile with the reality of the story. That was something that I never had as a kid. That was something I couldn't do until I had a kid. At least not for this story. So... Last week, we talked about Abraham, and, uh, and we're going to move forward in the story of Abraham. And so we're going to pick up in verse 15, or in chapter 15 of the book of Genesis. Genesis 15, and in verses 2 through 5, we read, But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the only one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He, he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So what does all of this mean? Well, we talked about Abram last week and and how God was going to create a family for him. And that family would uh, ultimately reach all of the families to create one unified family of God. But Abram was old. Dude was real old. And having kids was pretty much out of the question for him. Now, here's the short version of the story. Abram believed God in this moment. 
Right here, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's what Genesis says. That's what Paul quotes later in the New Testament about this moment. The problem is that sometimes we believe God, but we still think that he needs our help. Abram went back to his wife, Sarai, and and he told her what had happened. And she basically said, that's impossible. That can't happen. I don't know if you forgot, but I'm way past childbearing years. And spoiler alert, so are you. That can't happen, Abram. And so she said it's impossible. So she tells Abram to just sleep with her slave and have a kid that way. That's the only way God's promise can be fulfilled. Because Sarai was too old for it to happen. So Abram did. And he ended up having a son named Ishmael. And this actually causes all sorts of problems but we'll get into those another time. God meets with Abram again, and he pretty much says, no, no, that's not how this is working. That's not what I meant. You and Sarai will actually have a kid. Just trust me. Trust me that I can handle this. So then we move forward in the story. We end up at the part of the story where God changes their names, probably to what you recognize, Abraham and Sarah. So now they're Abraham and Sarah, and this is because he's changed the meaning of their names to reflect the child and the generations that will come from them. Both of them, both of them respond in this moment by falling on their faces and laughing at God. I mean, Abraham's 99 years old, and Sarah's 90, and... Uh, I'm pretty sure that most of you out there watching realize that when it comes to having kids, most 99 and 90-year-olds aren't popping out kids anymore for good reason. How in the world are they going to have a kid? What sort of impossible promise is God making to them? But that's what I love about this story. God just seems to be in the business of making impossible promises. That was, that was all the way back starting in chapter 15 and in chapter 17. But now let's fast forward to Genesis chapter 21. And so in Genesis chapter 21, we're going to read the first three verses. Genesis 21, 1 through 3. And we read, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. The important part of this story is that this was an impossible child. God oftentimes will step into our lives in the most impossible ways to prove himself. I was actually recently listening to a story from Pastor Mark Clark of Village Church in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, he was recently preaching a sermon and expressing how much God loves each of the people who are listening to the sermon. But 
He said he felt the Holy Spirit speak to him as he was preaching and recording that message. And the Holy Spirit told him, don't just tell them that I love them. Tell them that I like them too. I want them to know that I love them, but I also like them. And so Mark Clark hears the Holy Spirit tells him that and and he goes ahead and he, he says, you know, some of you need to understand that God doesn't just love you, but he likes you. He actually likes you, even in your mess. And later, Mark finds out that uh, there was a man who was watching for the very first time that week. And his mom, when he was growing up as a child, his mom always used to tell him at night, she'd tuck him in, she'd kiss him and tell him that she loves him, but she also likes him. And as he grew up, he had some different conflicts in church and some different things go wrong. And, and he was just, he was desperate for someone to tell him that God felt at least the same way about him as his mom did. He was desperate for someone to tell him that God loves him, but not only that, he also likes him. And so he's sitting and watching this, this service on his TV and his wife is sitting next to him and she knows that he's been looking for this. And it's been 12 years that he's been on this journey looking for someone to tell him that God also likes him. And as he watches Mark Clark, Mark tells him, based on the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that, hey, God loves you. God loves you more than you could ever understand. But not only that, God also likes you. And he and his wife look at each other and they just start sobbing. They just break down. This is the moment they've been looking for for 12 years. And so they told Mark the story. And, and as he's reading the story, the part that hits Mark is he starts thinking to himself, why me? Well, God could have used anyone to tell this story to this man. Why me? And he's thinking this because Mark, he has Tourette's. He has OCD. And as he preaches, you can see him twitch. You can sometimes hear him grunt and make other weird noises involuntarily because of these afflictions that he has, because of the trauma that he went through as a child. Why him? But isn't that exactly how God always seems to work? He picks the most impossible situations. And here he gives Abraham and Sarah an impossible son, one who would point us to another son. In fact, another impossible son. God waited until Abraham and Sarah were so old that there was no way they could have a child without God intervening. But this is just another way the story of Jesus could be told. God stepped in early in that story. And he brought Jesus before it was ever possible for Mary to have kids. He promised Mary an impossible son. And it's here, early in the story that Isaac is already pointing us to Jesus. But it gets better. Let's fast forward in the story again. There's actually not a lot that we see Isaac do, but there are a lot of areas in his life that point us back or forward to Jesus. So let's look. 
in Genesis chapter 22 now. Let's look at the first two verses of it. Genesis 22. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Pause. Your son, your only son, whom you love. Okay, we'll keep going. Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. (laughs) Do you see the parallels to Jesus yet though? Because they're so clear already, even in this very early picture. Now see, remember when I said that there were movies that I just didn't fully understand until I was an adult? And then I compared it to this story and said that there were things about this story that I... There was just no way that I could understand them until I had a kid. Well, no, no, I I still don't fully understand. I, I still can't fully wrap my mind around this moment. The next thing that we're told is that early in the next morning, Abraham saddled up his donkey, got Isaac, and they took off. That's the response. How in the world was Abraham so okay with following this crazy command of God? How in the world was Abraham emotionally stable enough to even make the trip? This was his only son. This was his only son, Isaac. Those of you who are parents, you know how much you love your kids. You know what you would do for your kids. You know the punches that you would take for the well-being of your kids. How could he do this? Pivot for a moment to to let me paint a picture for you. Uh, One of the teams in the NHL, yeah, I'm going to go back to hockey again. It'll be all right, I promise. One of the teams in the NHL is called the Columbus Blue Jackets, and... uh, Well, every team in the NHL plays a a goal horn, right? There's this big, loud horn that sounds in the arena when the home team scores a goal. Every team does that, but the Blue Jackets, they they up it a notch. Uh, They actually have a cannon in the arena that they fire off every time the team scores a goal. So they do the goal horn, and then a moment later, you'll hear a cannon fire. And... Some of my absolute favorite videos to watch are videos of people who don't know that the cannon fire is coming. Uh, There are videos of players and of announcers who don't know that the cannon's going to go off. And oh man, it's just, it's hilarious. The first time they find out the arena has a cannon uh, because they find out the hard way. But the reason it's so funny is that everyone else knows that the cannon fire is coming. And so they're waiting. They're bracing and they're watching. And you'll see players who are new. They'll come out on the ice during warm-ups and almost jump out of their uniform when that cannon fire goes off. You can hear the announcers audibly gasp and panic when they hear it. It's Honestly, it's just great. It makes me feel good. Uh, Probably for the wrong reasons, but it does nonetheless. But the key to any great story is knowing something that's coming before anyone else knows that it's coming. And while Abraham didn't know what was coming, he knew the character of God and he trusted him. 
He trusted God. Look, look at this. We're going to fast forward all the way to the New Testament again, uh, like we've done pretty much every week here. Hopefully, you're seeing how much the Old and New Testament really tie into each other. But uh, in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, towards the end of your New Testament, Hebrews 11, and in verses 17 through 19, we read this. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham, key in here, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Thank goodness we have the book of Hebrews, because this story in Genesis wouldn't have made much sense to me without this. See, when, when all you know is what you've read in Genesis 21 and 22, things start to get confusing. Sure, God knows more, but I'm the one left jumping at the sound of the cannon going off. And let's be honest, I'm the guy who would be thinking, forget the promise that God gave me that he would create nations and generations of people through Isaac. This is my son. I love him. I can't lose him. How, how in the world am I supposed to sacrifice? How in the world am I supposed to kill my son who I love so, so very much? See, even as a parent now, I still can't wrap my mind around this. One of the worst things about being a parent, and those of you who are parents, you know this. One of the worst things about being a parent is constantly worrying about your kids. And mine don't even leave the house without me yet. But I find myself constantly worrying about these little kids of mine because quite honestly, well, I just couldn't imagine my life to going back to before I had them. If I lost them, I know that it wouldn't be what it was before them. But the difference is that Abraham knew something that I didn't. Abraham knew something that no one else knew. He knew that God promised him an impossible son, and that clued Abraham in on something. God can and will do impossible things. So when God promised that through Isaac, there would be generations of people, and then God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, Abraham may have thought that was a horrifying idea, but he figured, hey, who's to say God won't raise him from the dead? Because if God made a promise, then Abraham knew that he would keep this promise. And here's the crazy thing. We actually haven't read any stories of anyone being raised from the dead yet in up to Genesis 22. It's not like Abraham knew the story of Jesus, of God's only son who he sacrificed and then brought back from the dead. Abraham didn't know that story. Abraham simply believed that God was able to do this impossible thing if he wanted to and that he would ultimately keep his promise. But 
but let's read ahead because ultimately Abraham didn't sacrifice Isaac and God never had to raise him from the dead. That was left for Jesus. So we're going to flip all the way back again to Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, we're going to read uh, verses 12 through 14. And as Abraham, knife in his hand, is about to strike down on his son, we read this. A voice cries out and says, Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. There's one thing that I want you to understand about this before we cover anything else about this text. I want you to understand that God does not want you to become the best version of yourself. He wants you to be more like him. That's always been the goal. For you to be more like him. We have this understanding in Western Western culture that we just need more self-realization, right? When in actuality, we need to be transformed to become more like the one who created us. And just as God was willing to give up his son for the salvation of the world, Abraham was able to act more like God than himself to do the same. It was only a short time ago that Abraham laughed in God's face, and now he totally trusted God. But then we see that there was a substitutionary death. We see that there was a sacrifice that needed to be made. God called Abraham to the land of Moriah, the land of vision. It's a land that we can't see, but God knows exactly what's ahead and what's going to happen. This was the same spot that Solomon would later build the temple to God. God knew exactly what he was doing here. He was just looking for obedience first. And God was looking for a sacrifice to be consecrated to him on this mountain before he would have his holy temple built there. Long before his holy temple would be built there. How much sense would it make for the sacrifice to be the one and only son of redemption for the world? But it wasn't. God gave a substitute. And after Abraham showed his obedience to God, there was a ram found in a bush that would ultimately become the sacrifice to God. Abraham realized that God provided for him, that God would that God always provides for him and for us. Abraham went so far as to name the mountain after that fact. The mountain became a beacon to everyone that God will provide. Later it was on that same mountain that Solomon would build the temple, the place where God would be present with his people in the midst of his people, where he would be among them and be their provision. And later that temple would be destroyed, but Jesus, but Jesus would become the physical place in which God would dwell with his people. Jesus would become that temple And it was Jesus who would provide for his people. 
Ultimately, it was Jesus who would become the substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus would become the ram in the bush so that you and I could live. Isaac never, he was never actually sacrificed, but Jesus was. Jesus became the better Isaac by actually going to the cross and taking on the consequences of sin of you and I. I think it's, it's also important for us to consider the fact that Isaac just did what his dad told him. Isaac went up that mountain not knowing that he was going to be sacrificed. We're not told that Isaac fought back when Abraham started the process, but he certainly didn't have the emotional turmoil that Jesus went through. As Jesus considered his future on the cross, he prayed to his father in a garden and and sweat drops of blood just because of the sheer amount of stress that was placed on him. I think we forget sometimes that Jesus was fully human. He was just as much a human as you and I are right now. We think sometimes that somehow knowing that he would be resurrected from the dead would make going to the cross easier. Listen, those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, we know what the future holds after this life here on earth. But that doesn't have any of us running to death, especially a death that is promised to be full of torture before we actually die, right? Just because we know what's coming doesn't have us racing to death. Jesus was a better Isaac. Jesus took on the full consequences of sin, knowing exactly what he was in for. Jesus was the substitutionary death. He was the ram and the bush. And ultimately, ultimately that means that you and I have an open invitation to eternal life. And if you're new here, or if you're just checking Christianity out, We believe in life after death. We believe that we will live forever with Jesus after this life. And you'll hear us talk about eternal life. But I think that sometimes we forget that that's only a small part of the puzzle. Jesus came to bring us life now, to bring us an abundant and full life. That's what he tells us in John chapter 10. So for us to live as if we can't truly live until we die is missing the point. He came to bring you life now that would propel you into life forever. You can live life to the fullest here and now by living that life on the terms of Jesus. There is something better for you. There is something better for your life now. There is a full life for you now. There is an abundant life for you now. And I would absolutely hate for you to miss it. The creator of the world is the creator of your soul. And he wants to nourish and grow your soul. He wants to make you more like him. He wants you to enjoy perfect life. And so if you don't have that relationship with Jesus yet, if you haven't embraced his substitutionary death, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So uh, if you want, you're welcome to pray with me this morning. These words have to be your own, come from your own heart. You have to mean these words, but I'll lead you in that prayer this morning. And so we pray, Jesus, 
Thank you for your substitutionary death. I am sorry that I have tried to live my life on my own, that I have tried to live my life on my own terms. And I recognize that you came and lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross and that you rose again from the dead to conquer death for me. You took on my consequences, Jesus. And I thank you for that. I believe that you did that. And Jesus, now in this moment... I ask that you would lead me in every aspect of my life, that you would be Lord of my life, and I submit my life to you at your feet, Jesus, and I will follow you all the days of my life in everything that I do. I give my life to you, Jesus. Amen. And so if you prayed that prayer, we just want to ask that you would reach out to us in the comments wherever you're watching the sermon, or you can email us directly at portervillefirstbaptist at gmail.com, and we'd love to continue to reach out and pray and lead you. And uh, I just want to say, church, we love you, we're thankful for you, and we look forward to seeing you again next week.